Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to. Please get a hold of us at lafayettenaz.org. Have a great day. Really am incredibly thankful that you have gathered here to worship. We never take it for granted. So listen, in a calendar year, there are only 52 of these opportunities. That's not a lot. 52 opportunities to gather as a church family to rehearse the story of redemption, to remind ourselves that God is on the throne, to remember who really is king, and to submit our lives to God's kingship so that our hearts and lives can be shaped and formed to become like him. We can't ever take it for granted. This is the thing. 310 other days of the year, you might not be reminded of that. For 310 days, somebody else is filling your head and your heart with messages of what the world is really like. But for 52 days, we gather, and the words that we hear remind us about who we are, about who God is, and about how we're invited to become like him. So thank you for being here. We will never, ever, ever take these opportunities for granted. All right, this is the second week of a sermon series that we've called The More You Were Made For. The More You Were Made For. Here's why we're calling it that. All right, this is January still of 2019. And in the month of January, we all have big dreams and big hopes, audacious goals about the things that will get accomplished over the next calendar year and the kind of person that will become as a result. And at this church, we have the biggest hope and the biggest dream possible for you, for all of us together. Our hope and our goal and our dream is that at the end of 2019, you will be able to say, this is the year that I grew exponentially to become more like Jesus This is the year that I really tapped into the more that I was made for. Because the reality is, like, it's good to, like, maybe not eat so much sugar. And it's good to maybe move your body a little bit more. And it's good to not spend more than you make. All of those things are good, but there's more out there for us. There's a larger hope and a greater dream There's the possibility and the opportunity that we actually can become who God has created us to be. That's what we're going to talk about, and that's what we started talking about last week. That's what we'll be talking about for the next several weeks. And today, we're going to talk about that through the lens of a person by the name John the Baptist. First name John, last name Baptist, middle name the. John the Baptist. And we learn and we're introduced to John the Baptist in John chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. I know you just sat down, but in this church we honor and we respect the authority of God's word. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? The word of the Lord says this. This is John's testimony. 
when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? And John confessed. He didn't deny, but he confessed. I am not the Christ. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? John said, I am not. Are you the prophet? John answered, no. And they asked, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied, I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. Make the Lord's path straight, just as the prophet Isaiah said. This is God's word for us this morning. You can be seated. Now here's the thing about John. Here's the thing about John. John was doing God's work. John was on a mission from God. Just like any pastor, any Christian, like the Blues Brothers, like Jesus. John was on a mission from God, and his mission was a dangerous one. It was not an easy one. He was called to go ahead of God and to prepare the way for God's arrival. He was to be the voice, the person, preparing people not for what he would bring to the world, but for what the one they had been waiting for, for the Messiah, what the Messiah would bring. So John, like all of us, who have had the, the, the whisper of the living God creep up, up on us and whisper, follow me, John's mission was this, to deny himself and to elevate Jesus. That was his mission. Lower himself so that Jesus could be elevated. Now here's the thing, he wasn't called to be the hero He wasn't supposed to be the main character. His job was not to take the lead role in that whole grand story of salvation. He was just a supporting character. Somebody who was complimentary, who was added into the script. And his job was to lower himself, to deny himself, and to elevate the one who would come to save the lost. Now, you know this. I know this. Supporting cast members never get the glory. They never get the glory. Supporting cast members don't see the pay, the prestige, the fame of the lead or the hero. They're not treated the same way. Supporting cast members or maybe like Offensive or defensive linemen can walk freely down the streets of a city and nobody knows who they are because they don't score the touchdowns and do the dances and pose for all the pictures. They don't get the glory. So when word got around about John and when word got around about what John was doing and people started asking him, who are you? I mean, he must have thought to himself, this is my moment. This is my moment. This is my opportunity. I've got a shot now. I've got a chance to elevate myself and to promote me. Because you don't actually have to be God 
to reap the benefits of playing like your God. John knew this. He knew he could have had, tried to have it all. At least he could have had it all, tried to have had it all for just a little bit. It wouldn't have lasted, but he could have enjoyed it for the little while that he had it. I mean, he eventually knew, listen, my lot in this life is like everybody else's lot in this life. I'm going to die, and I'm going to be buried six feet under the ground. So why not enjoy to the fullest the shortest amount of time that I have on this earth? Why not go out on top in like a blaze of glory? Why not die with an army of followers on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook who tag you and scream your name, who promote you, who wear your brand on their clothes? Why not have employees and customers and friends and neighbors who implement your way of life into their life, who live out your values and your strategic plan? Why not take that shot and elevate yourself? Here's the thing. If John would have decided that self-advancement or self-fulfillment was the path for him, the way forward in this world was really clear. It was really clear. Because there were plenty of people who had done it. Plenty of examples for him to follow. There were plenty of people who had identified themselves as the one who was going to save everybody, at least for a little while. There's a guy by the name of Simon of Pariah. He was a former servant of Herod. He found the strength to do something about the injustices that the, the Israelites were experiencing. There was Anthrongi, the former shepherd, who found in his spirit the strength to, bull, to, to bear his, listen to this, wolf-like fangs and draw some enemy blood. And sure, all of those dudes were dead. They were all dead. But they were also legends. They were legends. And they were people like Robin Hood who helped other people believe that there was more to this life than they could have ever imagined. That life could be different. They helped people to see that Jews don't always have to be marginalized and oppressed and can't always not worship the God that they've come to love and come to give their life to. They help people change. They help people to see that they don't have to feel inferior. And because of that, People remembered them. They remembered their names. So there's these priests who are sent to John because John's attracted a following and they want to find out who he is. And so they say to John, they said, hey, John, who are you? And John decided who he's going to be. And John said the words, I am. He said, I am. And if there was a period there at the end of that sentence, when John said, I am, we might get a sense of the enormity of that phrase. For some of us, when we hear that phrase, I am, especially in a biblical context, it takes us back to like Sunday school and flannel graphs and Moses. I am. John said it. And what we remember is that's the name that God gave to himself when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses said, 
when God said, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go, Moses said to that bush that was burning on fire but wasn't burning up, who should I say sent me? Who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? And the voice in that burning bush says, tell them I am has sent you. John says to the question, who are you? I am. That's the name of God. But he didn't stop there. He said, I am not. In fact, in the original language, he jammed the word not before the word am in a phrase that makes absolutely no sense to us in English. But John was trying to emphasize something by moving that word forward. So the real sentence reads, I not am the Messiah. I not am. He wanted to make something really clear. His mission was to lower himself, to deny himself, and to elevate the person of Jesus. And he teaches us something. John teaches us something. John teaches us that the entry point into the life of Jesus is and always has been self-denial. The entry point into the way of becoming more like Jesus is and always has been Self-denial. Now, what's really interesting about that entry point is that every message in our culture today is about self-fulfillment. It's about self-fulfillment. The BBC produced this fantastic documentary on the rise of the advertising industry. And they titled this documentary, The Century of Self. The Century of Self. What a fitting title for the last 100 years. We don't live in a culture of self-denial. We live in a culture of self-fulfillment. I mean, the, the thing that's closest to self-denial in our culture is like the world of exercise and fitness. But even there, when you say no, when you deny your desire for chocolate, and you say yes to the cult of CrossFit, it's still a mechanism for further self-fulfillment. Maybe another example would be careerism. Like, you sacrifice for a period of time, and you grind it out, and you go to grad school, or you get the certification, and, and, and it's a sacrifice. But still, the whole point of that sacrifice is to be fulfilled, because the whole point of that sacrifice is to be able to obtain that kind of a salary that kind of position, that kind of office, whatever. My point is this. Overall, you and I, you and I, myself included, we can't imagine a vision of a life that's good. We cannot imagine a life that is good that doesn't involve getting what we want. We can't imagine that. We can't. The vision of a life that we classify as good always involves us getting what we want. We can't imagine a life that we would think that's a good life. And that vision involves not getting what we want. We can't imagine saying, I am not. 
We can't imagine the way of self-denial. Now, like all of you, I have been paying attention to the national debate around sexuality. I've been paying attention to that. I'm a pastor. I kind of have to. And I've been um, paying attention to the way that that debate is tied into politics. And every time I hear that debate rage, and I hear both sides of the argument, and this is true of both sides, I'm struck by a number of assumptions that are carried into that conversation. Number one, that nobody or nothing should be able to stand in the way of me getting what I want. Number two, that if anything or anyone stands in the way of getting what I want, that it's oppression. And number three, that if I can't get what I want, then I can't be happy. And just as in earlier generations, it was never fitting to deny God, the tables have completely turned, and now it is never okay to deny ourselves. It used to be that the worst thing that we could do is to deny God. Now the worst thing that we could do is to deny ourselves. And we have slogans that abound that support that. Be true to yourself. Rediscover your inner voice. Follow your heart. Can I, can I make a statement that is not going to be popular and it's going to make me sound like the cranky old man that I probably am quickly becoming? The worst advice you could ever give to someone sometimes is follow your heart. That's the worst advice. The Bible reveals to us all the time our heart can't be trusted. Like what we want, we simply cannot trust all of the time. Because we often want things, our desires are so skewed by the broken world that we live in, that we we want things. Our heart tells us we need things that are contrary to the good and beautiful way that God has for us to live. It used to be that the worst thing that we could do is to deny God. Now the worst thing that we can do is deny ourselves. And here's the thing. Like John teaches us, the entry point into the way of Jesus is and has always been self-denial. Now the Bible, myself, all of us, we are convinced We're convinced that you and I were made for more. But we're also convinced of this. The more that we were made for is not located within us. The more that we were made for is located in God. It's discovered as we follow Jesus. Life with God. That is the more that we were made for. And the entry point into that kind of life is to first do what John did, to lower ourselves, to deny ourselves, so that Jesus can be elevated. Because the culture that we live in, the world that we live in, the city and the town, the community that we live in, the structures that support this place, all of those things act like 
Our desires are good. And if we follow those desires, it will lead us to this eternal nirvana state that we call happiness. But Jesus says something else. He says that we all have a desire that is bent towards self-gratification, and we all have a will that is bent towards love. Listen, we have a desire that's bent towards self-gratification, and at the same time, we have a will that's bent toward love. And our role is to crucify the former and to live into the latter. It's to put to death the things of the flesh so that we can live into the things of God. This is what Jesus is meaning when he says things like deny yourself and at the same time, take up your cross. The call of self-denial is the core of becoming like Jesus. And I've been following Jesus for decades now. And I still feel like a beginner. I still feel like a beginner. But the further I go into following Jesus, this, this whole thing, this death to self, this self-denial, whatever you want to call it, the further I go, that whole thing seems to be at the root of what this whole Jesus-following way is all about. Honestly, the further I get into following Jesus, it seems like everything, almost everything, comes down to that. And this is what we sign up for in baptism. Every time that we baptize someone, we are rehearsing and we are remembering through that symbolic act of death and resurrection. I've shared this, this image before, but maybe you haven't heard it. My guess is many of you have not heard it. There's this historical legend, and it has to do with a time period surrounding the Crusades. And there's this historical legend about the Knights Templar and what they would do during the Crusades. And right before each crusade, they each, each knight would be baptized, submersed, immersed under the water, and they would be baptized wearing their full armor. But when they were baptized, wearing their full armor, their whole body under the water, what they would do is they would hold their sword up out of the water. As if to say through, through symbolism, Jesus, you can have all of me except this one part because I need this to defend myself and to kill my enemies. Now, it's easy for us to like mock that, critique it, think about how silly that is, just how ridiculous that scene must have looked like, all of these people wearing full armor, getting dunked underwater, but holding their swords up. I mean, we think that's so silly. But we might not hold a sword out of the water, but a lot of us do this. You know, we say to God, here, you can have all of me except this one thing. I'm going to hold that part of my life back from the cross. But to do what John did, to do what Jesus invites us to do, to deny ourselves, is to say, okay, here's all of me. 
I give it to you. And in that act of self-denial, this miraculous thing takes place where we're born again. We're a whole new person. Because the entry into the life of following Jesus is to first say no to ourselves as we're saying yes to God. Now, one of my favorite things about Jesus is that when he teaches, he doesn't always end his teachings with like a command. Okay, now go do this. Sometimes he does. He's not, he, he doesn't always not do that. But often his teachings end with a statement about how life actually works. So he'll say things like, it's better to give than it is to receive, or the first will be last and the last will be first, or those who live by the sword die by the sword. Those aren't commands. They're not ought to's. They're not you should do this. It's Jesus saying, hey, this is actually how life works. And that's what's happening here. What we're learning through what John is teaching us as he's pointing the way to Jesus is this actually is how life works. We have two options. Option A is to deny ourselves and to follow Jesus. Option B is to deny Jesus and to follow ourselves. There's no gray. It's black or white here. We have a choice between two different ways of living. Option A, we deny ourselves and we follow Jesus. Option B, we deny Jesus and we follow ourselves. And Jesus is saying this, if we deny Jesus and follow ourselves, the results are that we lose our life. But if we deny ourselves and we follow Jesus, the results is that our life is saved. The entry point into the life long way of following Jesus is putting to death our flesh, crucifying ourselves, or, as John teaches us, to first say, I'm not. I am not. And as we do that, we're reminded the more that we've always been made for, the more that we've always been created for, the more that God has always had for us is found as God changes us through our first saying no to the desires and to the wants of our skewed hearts and yes to his way in the world. Uh, there's this really fascinating, fascinating, fascinating book I read in this past year. And the book is the result of the largest study, the technical term is largest longitudinal study of human happiness that's ever been done. So some researchers, some social psychologists but from Harvard University have been studying a diverse group of people now for decades for decades, They started studying them in their adolescence, and they followed through with this really diverse and large, vast 
group of people all the way through now these folks are elderly. And they, they just wanted to study what makes someone happy, what makes someone feel content, what brings meaning to a life, and what steals away meaning from a life. And you know the results that they found that surprised the social psychologists, but for followers of Jesus should be no surprise to us at all? The results that they found are this. The people who felt the most content in their elderly years as they look back over their life were people who were the most charitable, who were the most generous, who volunteered the most, who gave of their time the most. All of the things that Jesus has always told us, this is the way of the kingdom of God in this world, were revealed and backed up by social science. Why? If you would have asked them in their 30s, these same people, hey, what do you want to do today? Do you want, do you want to give money out of your hard-earned paycheck? Do you want to give that away? Or do you want to go, let's try to think about something. Do you want to go buy like um, a microwave, the new toy? What do you want to do today? Do you want to like volunteer? Or do you want to use that time to gather with your friends and listen to the new Jimi Hendrix album that just came out on vinyl? What What do you want to do? You know what their hearts probably would have said? I just want to sit on my couch. That's what I want to do. But what they learned is what Jesus has always been teaching us. The entry point into the more that we were made for is to deny ourselves, to take up his cross, to say, I I am not, but he is.